invite you that if you're running from Jesus, you can't run from his arms, and you can't run from his grace. And maybe you're here, and you're kind of visiting with your mother, or you're here, and you've been running from God. As the song said, you cannot run from his love, and we invite you to come to him this day and see the love that he showed for you by being crucified on the cross. What a great song. Jesus loves me. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, open up to uh, Joshua, Joshua chapter 2, and you can take out your outline there in your bulletin if you'd like to take some notes with us this morning. And maybe when you see the outline, you're just a little bit confused, thinking what is going on here, because the outline, the title of the sermon is, What Every Godly Mama Can Learn from Rahab. Now, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you know that Rahab is referred to as Rahab the prostitute, as we'll soon see here. But you need to also know that if that's all you know her as, then you don't know the story of her life, because Rahab is a picture of the gospel, and the New Testament lists her in the hall of faith. And so what I'm trying to do this morning is just remind all of us this morning that we have a lot of lessons that we can learn from Rahab, who eventually became a godly mom, and we'll see here in just a bit, even belongs in the royal line of Christ. So in case you're wondering where I'm going, hopefully you already see the big picture. I just gave out some of my shouting points there later in the sermon, but I wanted to make sure you're tracking with me of why we're looking at this story of Rahab, okay? So I want to just say that Mother's Day is always a special day as we have the joy of thanking God for giving us life through our moms and through our dads. Mother's Day is a day that we can be thankful for and express gratitude to our mothers. Mother's Day is a day to pause and think about the love and the sacrifice and the joy that we have when we just remember our moms. And so let me just say thank you to all of the Placerita moms out there this morning. Thank you for being godly moms. In fact, I want to just give thanks to the Lord to you moms this morning. Let's just thank our moms for your hard work and sacrifice. Honestly, a church would not be a church without godly mamas, and so we're so thankful for the example we see in you, and my goal this morning is to encourage you, and so I want to just mention, if I can, just a few sentiments and sayings that we think about oftentimes at Mother's Day. The world to you might be, or let me, let me say that one again, excuse me, to the world, you might be one person, but to one person, you might be the world. Now here's another one. Being a full-time mother is one of the highest salaried jobs since the payment is in pure love. Gotta appreciate that, right? There's only one pretty child in the world and every mother has it. If you've got more than one kid, that's a problem for you, right? But uh, if that's true, I wonder why it is said that mama does everything for the baby who responds by saying, Dada first. Sorry, moms, that's just the way it is in some homes, all right? Uh, how about this one? A suburban mother's role is to deliver children obstetrically once and then by car forever after. So if you take your kids around to a lot of ball practice and dancing lessons, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, here's another comment. The one thing children wear out faster than shoes is parents, Parenthood is passing a passing of the baton followed by a lifelong disagreement as to who dropped it. Hey, we know who dropped it. It wasn't mama, all right? 
You didn't get it as a kid growing up. That's your fault, right? So here are a few which are, from a child's perspective, offered in a good-natured way, all right? My mother told me a million times never to exaggerate. The most remarkable thing about my mother is that for 30 years, she served the family nothing but leftovers. The original meal has never been found. (laughs) My mother's menu consisted of two choices, take it or leave it. Here are a few which are offered by a mom's comments about herself. She said, I'd like to be the ideal mother, but I'm too busy raising my kids. When my kids become wild and unruly, I use a nice, safe playpen. When they're finished, I climb out. If your kids are giving you a headache, follow the directions on the aspirin bottle, especially the part that says, keep away from children. I want my children to have all the things I couldn't afford, then I want to move in with them. Children are a great comfort in your old age, and they may help you reach it faster, too. Here's a poem to accompany a child's handprint. You wash my prints from walls and doors, for I am not careful where I play. But here is a print you'll want to keep. It's made for you this Mother's Day. How sweet, huh? You know how those prints can drive you crazy until they hand you one on Mother's Day. And you're like, oh, thank you. Look at his little hand. Here's another point, the month of May. For all the diapers that you changed, for all the play dates you arranged, for all the trips back and forth to school, for cleaning up the spit, the spit up and the drool, why is there only one Mother's Day you could have at least gotten the entire month of May? Isn't that true? We owe our moms more than just one day of thank you, all right? So for you husbands... And for you children out there, which is all of us, we're all children, right? Make sure you make it a very happy Mother's Day and a happy Mother's Year for your mom this year, all right? So true. Each one of our mothers deserves a whole month. In fact, a whole lifetime of gratitude still wouldn't be enough to reach the lifetime of love and sacrifice that you have shown to your children. And still, my job this morning is not only to thank you, And to praise you, but also to encourage you to excel still more. The message that I want to give to you this morning may seem odd, strange, or out of place. You may have already thought about what could I possibly learn from Rahab. I mean, isn't she listed again in Scripture as Rahab the prostitute? What kind of sick humor are you trying to use this morning on Mother's Day? Well, my answer to you is that I'm not trying to use any humor at all. I'm using the Bible to encourage Moms, And I think there's a lot that we can learn by looking at the intriguing life of Rahab. For she is listed in the scripture eight times. Five of those are in the Old Testament. Three of those are in the New Testament. And we're going to look at each one of them this morning. But keep in mind a little bit more of an overview for we don't have time to dig down too deep. And so with that in mind, let me give you five headings which address what every godly mama can learn from Rahab. Are you ready? Number one, every godly mama has a past. Every godly mama has a past. And your first sub-point there under that first major heading is what Rahab was. What Rahab was. We're in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly 
from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now, we are in the place of Old Testament history where Moses has delivered the children of Israel by God's power from Egypt, the strongest country on the planet, and he has gone across the Red Sea. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Now they're gathered up on the plains of Moab, getting ready to cross the Jordan River and to come into the promised land, the land of Canaan. Before they can come into Canaan, a wise army will send scouts out to see what they're going to deal with once they get in. Once they get in, the first thing they're going to deal with is Jericho. It's a city. It's an ancient city. In fact, our team from Israel was there just three weeks ago where Jericho boasts of being the oldest city in the world. It's just to the north of the Dead Sea. It's about 15 miles as the crow flies from Jerusalem. And so as Joshua is getting ready to cross the Jordan River and enter into Jericho, he sends these spies into this area to check out Jericho because he knows it's a strategic city. Whoever holds Jericho holds the area. And so they're going to need to come in and have some type of battle there at Jericho. And so they send in these spies, and I believe these spies were pursuing the best place to get information, which happened to be at Rahab's house. Maybe you could view this as some type of tavern, and we'll find out a little bit later in Joshua 2 that her house is actually in the wall. And so this is a good place to actually go to get information about what's going on. But make no bets about it, Rahab was a prostitute. There is no nice way of saying it. She was an immoral woman. And she was also a sinner, however, like all of us. And somehow she combined these two as her occupation. This morning, we've got to realize that each one of us has a past. Each one of us was a sinner saved by grace. You may be thinking, I have a past, all right, but it's nothing like Rahab. True, but that doesn't put you any closer to Jesus than Rahab was. So if you're here this morning and you're a godly mama, you got to realize that you used to be a sinner. You were dead to the grace of God. You did not participate in the covenants of promise. You were, in a sense, categorically just like Rahab. You too were a prostitute in the spiritual sense of worshiping other gods. Yet by his grace, he saved you and he brought you and he brought you out of the kingdom of the Canaanites and he has placed you into the kingdom of his son. Praise God that what we see in Rahab has also happened to all mamas who know Jesus. Let me move on to our second sub point and let's quickly get to what Rahab is now. What is Rahab now in the present tense, at least according to verses two through seven? And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. When they, excuse me, and when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had, hid, uh, she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. 
And what we see here is this is a, a good place again for these spies to come from information. It had been circled back to the king of Jericho that these strangers were there. These spies were there to search out the land. And so the king dispatches his messengers, his own guards maybe, to go check out where are these men. Rahab is now acting already, I believe, as we'll see later in this sermon, in faith by sending out or hiding at this point her mess, her, uh, the spies, right, hiding them on her roof and sending out these men. She even tells them, hurry so that you can catch them before it gets dark. And so they didn't have time to search her house well because she's like, you guys got to get out of the gate because once the city gate closes, there's nobody going out and there's nobody coming in that very night. And so these men have to hurry to get outside in order to try to hunt down these two spies. Well, here's what we see next. See there in your outline what Rahab knows. Why did she act this way? Well, she knows something. Verses 8 and 9 tell us what that is. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. And what did Rahab know? She knew about the Hebrew God. She had heard stories about what had happened, and she knew. She had, she had known because God had revealed it to her through information that had eventually come her way. She was in the know about what was going on, and she even says, basically, I know that the Lord has given you the land. I know that you guys are going to come in, conquer Canaan, have the promised land. I know that. So we're already seeing here possibly a statement of faith by Rahab. And she knew what she knew because she had heard. That's your next blank, what Rahab had heard, verses 10 and 11. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now again, we're seeing some pretty incredible statements here, that faith comes from hearing, right? That Romans tells us that. She had heard about this work, and evidently, according to the New Testament that we'll get to in a moment, she's acting in faith. She believes in this Lord over the heavens and of the earth. She believes that, that God will do a work here and give this land again to these Israelites. In Numbers 21, 23 to 26 and 33 to 35 tells the story about how those other two kings of the Amorites were decimated. They were destroyed. When they got in Israel's way, God gave Israel great victory and they won and inhabited those areas. And so she's saying, hey, I know because of what I've heard, that what happened to them will ultimately happen to us. I wonder if you have as much confidence as Rahab. I wonder if you believe the word of God like she believed what she heard. I wonder if you have confidence that your God always wins. I wonder if you believe what the Bible tells you about disciplining your children in love, that it does work. may not seem like it in the moment may seem like, well, my word, I broke a spoon, I broke this, I broke that, they're still misbehaving. I don't know if this works. I think I'll go out and find some secular psychologist to help me out. Listen to me. That's man's wisdom. God has given his wisdom in his word, has told you how to act and function as a mom. Do you believe it? 
are you applying it? Do you have courage? Do you have boldness to apply God's word in your life like Rahab seems to be applying what she had heard in a very courageous way? Look next with me, if you will, about what Rahab wants. What is it that she wants in verses 12 through 14? Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that, uh, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. What does Rahab want? Let me suggest to you that Rahab wants mercy. She wants the mercy of God that she and her family could continue to live. Notice in the text, she's not married yet, so she's going to become a mama in a little bit. But right now, she wants to save her father, her mother, her brothers and sisters, and she wants out. She wants out of Jericho, and she wants to live in a community of faith. She wants out of the world, and she wants to walk in the light. She believes in this God. She wants to come to him, and she's willing to sacrifice her very life in order to spare her family. I wonder if you moms have that kind of desire to risk your life in order to save your family by telling them of the truth of God. Notice next what Rahab did. What Rahab did in verses 15 and 16. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. What did Rahab do? Well, she, she simply gave excellent advice. She is a smart woman. She is very in tune with the best way that these particular spies could escape, hang out for three days, then later return back to the general, Joshua, on the other side of the Jordan River. Rahab simply gave them great advice to help their plan succeed to get back home. Next, we see this, what Rahab was instructed to do. They instruct her to do something very specific. Let's see if she does it. Verses 17 through 21, we read this. Then the man said to her, we will be guiltless with this, with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord into the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother and brothers and all of your father's household. And then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his head, and we shall be, be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed she tied, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. That may seem like a simple thing, but they tell her very specifically, scarlet cord, let us down, leave this here as a marker by which we can identify you after we come conquer uh, Jer Jericho. I like the way that Rahab was simply pleading with them for her life, also in being instructed and following with what seems like immediate obedience. 
She's a woman of faith. She obeys the instruction that she receives by tying the scarlet cord out of that window. Let me move on to H, what Raham enabled to happen. What she enabled to happen is this, verses 22 to the end of the chapter. They departed, went into the hills, and remained there three days until the pursuers returned, and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. You see, Rahab, in the sovereign plan of God, was part of the way of escape for these spies. Had these spies not escaped, is it possible that Joshua would have never conquered? Now, the answer is, of course, of course he would have conquered. But this is plan A, and God ordained plan A to happen exactly like it happened. He sovereignly chose to use Rahab to be a part of his plan. And he used her to enable her to be a safe house for these men, to offer good counsel for how they could get back home, and then also to let them know, look, all of our people heard about you guys. We know that you're coming. And all of our hearts would melt away out of fear and out of respect for your God. And this gave morale to Joshua and the army saying, hey, we know we got this because they are scared. They already know we're coming and have already conceded in their hearts, we will take this land. God used Rahab to be a part of what would happen. Though it was completely miraculous, God's power, God's timing, God's way, it's still, he still chose to use Rahab as a part of what he does here. So it's amazing to see Rahab's testimony here of Joshua chapter 2. And so we see here that every godly mama has a past. Not only that, let's move on to our second heading if we can. Every godly mama has a plan. Every godly mama has a plan. We've already seen Rahab's plan, but let's see it being lived out here in Joshua chapter 6. This is the second place in the Old Testament <coughs> where Rahab is mentioned. Just a couple of chapters later, obviously they're getting together the Israelites, they've already crossed the Jordan. They're going to be marching around the city. And we pick up in Joshua 6:15. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her and in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take away of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, all the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city 
every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted in the city, they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her, as you swore her. So the young man who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua, saved alive. And she was, and she was, excuse me, and she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. What was Rahab's plan? Her plan was to escape from a pagan culture and to enter into God's community of people in Israel. They had to, in one sense, keep her outside the camp, but I believe that she became a proselyte and eventually was, some, to some degree, part of their community. She was a godly woman who had a plan to rescue her family and all that was with them, and to lead them to godliness. She became an adopted child of God. She became a Christ-like follower. She became a woman that every Christian ought to be encouraged by and challenged by. She was a mama with a past, but she had a plan to lead her family to godliness. Let me ask you mamas this morning, what is your plan? Is your plan to just get through these years until you can finally retire and see the kids go along their way? Is your plan to, as often as you can, to take breaks from your child, though we certainly need them? Or do you see every moment that God's given you with your child as a gift from God and an opportunity for you to be a gospel picture to your child, to rescue them out of the darkest dark and bring them into the lightest light? What is your plan with your children. May God use you in a mighty way to bring them with you wherever you go. That You would lead them to the throne of grace. And that you would bow before your creator and Lord willing, God would grace them with salvation. Let me move on. Third, every godly mama has a place. Every godly mama has a place. Now we're going to transition, if we can, to the New Testament. I want to talk to you about the genealogy in Matthew. So Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5. The genealogy of Matthew traces the royal line of Jesus through Joseph. The genealogy in the Gospel of Luke traces the line of Christ biologically through Mary. Okay? So this is tracing the line. Let's see who we read in this line of Christ, the royal line of Christ, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. You see what I'm seeing? Rahab is in the royal line line of Christ. 
Now, let me just clarify something here. If you just read this at face value, usually you think, wow, Rahab is really close to David. How does that work? Because they're 400 years apart. Well, good conservative scholars will simply say that this particular genealogy does not capture every single person, but highlights the people that need to be highlighted according to the Holy Spirit of God, which inspired this text. And so there's about 400 years between Rahab and David, but we see very clearly she is in the line. This, we believe, is Rahab of Jericho, who was brought into the community of Israel, was a proselyte, converted, was a Christian, if you will, Old Testament Christian, who now has a special place in the line of Christ. What can you learn from that? Mama, you have a special place. You may be from nowhere, and you may feel like you're going nowhere. You may not have a degree. You may have never worked a professional job. You may have never even had a job. The world would say, say to you, you're nothing. That that's a social wreck and a nightmare and you're a failure. But God would say to you this morning, you got a place in God's plan. You have a place in the plan of God to bring a royal heritage of the gospel to your children and to all of those that you influence. You have an opportunity because you have a special place in the line of God. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. 2 Timothy 1, 5. You ladies know where I'm going. It, we're talking here a little bit about this place that we have in being a godly influence through generations. Here's what Paul writes to Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith. Paul, talking to Timothy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. What is Paul doing? He's reminding us that faithful young Timothy had a faithful mom named Eunice and a faithful grandmother named Lois who were godly women mentioned in Scripture. Hello, where is grandpa mentioned here? Where is dad? It's a little disappointing, but these women stepped up because they had a place and having an influence on their kids for the glory of God. And this young man, Timothy, apparently saved at a young age, largely influenced by the place that his mother had in his life, a godly mom and a godly grandmother. If you're here and you're a grandmother, you still have a place. You have an influence. If you're here and you're a mom, you have a place. You have an influence in leading your children to the royal glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you could be in the line of leading them spiritually, a spiritual heritage to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever think that you're worthless or invaluable because you're not making money. You're making something far more important than money could ever buy. You're being a Christian witness to your kids. Let me move on. Because you guys are getting quiet. Number four, all right? Every godly mama has a point. Every godly mama has a point. Hebrews chapter 11. This is the, the second place that she's mentioned in the New Testament. We're talking here about the hall of faith. The hall of faith. Godly men, godly women, both mentioned in this account of the hall of faith of those who are that, uh, that the, the author of Hebrews points to for us to learn from. And who do we find? Lo and behold, Rahab. Hebrews chapter 11, I'll start in verse 29. We read this, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. 
But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Here we see certified from the author of Hebrews that this was a woman of faith. She became a Christian. She walked with God. And as a woman of faith, as a mother of faith, you might have a responsibility to do the same thing, that God's called you to walk by faith, that you would have a godly influence on not only your husband, not only on your children, but on other mothers as well. You see, Rahab is influencing you today. So can you influence others today. In fact, turn with me to Titus 2. Come on, every woman loves Titus 2. Titus 2, verses 3 through 5. This is an opportunity you have as a godly mom, not only again to influence your husband and your children, but to influence other godly women. Titus 2, starting in verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Stop drinking, what he's saying to the older women. They are to teach what is good. In other words, you've got a lot of life left in you, verse 4. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Every godly mama has a point. Part of your point is to have an influence on other godly women. We have in this church many godly women who are in their 20s and 30s having kids, and they need help. We need godly mamas who are 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, can I say it, 90, that would be willing to come alongside these young mamas and help them out. Young mamas get tired. Young mamas need help in their home. They need reminders of what it looks like on a day-to-day basis. When's the last time you said, you know what? Here's this precious little mama in our church. She's 30-something. She's got three-plus kids. I think I'm going to call her and see if I can't come spend the morning with her to do whatever she needs and hopefully sit down for coffee if we get a chance and just instill in her godly wisdom from the Word of God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever sat down and just offered, say, hey, let me watch your kids so you can go grocery shopping? Have, have you ever offered this kind of ministry? Because it's an incredible ministry. Young moms are starving for older mamas to come show them how to do it right. Would you be willing? Would you be willing to show up and say, man, I can help you out. Look, I'm not a Bible scholar. Don't claim to be. But I can tell you this. There were times where my husband was gone to work or he was this and this, and I had to hold down the fort. And you know what? By the grace of God, we need to do it, and we need to do it well. We need to love our men. We need to love our children. Hey, you see your little kid doing that? You need to spank him when he does that. They need to hear it from another mama. They need to hear it from somebody who's been there and say, hey, sweetie, I know that you're tired, and this is busy. Life is hard. You're doing a great job. Let me encourage you. 
let me pray for you. Let me just affirm what you're doing. I know it's tough. Let me, let me see how I can help. We need godly mamas, godly grandmamas, because there's a point that you have to play, and it's not just influencing your own kids. It's influencing other mamas who have kids. You have an incredible ministry opportunity. I wonder if you're taking advantage of it. What young mama have you met with lately? Let me move on. Number five, every godly mama has an opportunity to be a gospel picture. Turn with me one book to the right, James chapter 2. This is the last place in the Bible where Rahab is mentioned. This is number eight out of eight, five times in the Old Testament, in Joshua 2 and Joshua 6, three times in the New Testament, Matthew 1, 5, Hebrews 11, and now here's the third one, James chapter 2. Very interesting here. James is trying to make an argument that faith works. And so the whole book of James is about, hey, if you say you got faith, that's cool, but you better have some action to back it up or your faith is nothing. Talk is cheap. You can say all day long that you believe in God and you have faith in God, but if your actions don't back it up, then you don't know God. That's what he's saying. That's what the book is about. And then he gives three examples, two of them people, to prove his point. Okay, so we're jumping right into verse 21 of chapter 2. The first person that he sets up to show had faith, but it was a real faith that worked, is Abraham, the patriarch. We're in James chapter 2. Look with me at verse 21. We read this. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now, for every good reformer, you read that verse and you're like, oh, he must have miswrote that. I thought we're justified by faith. Right? Well, that's why you got to understand the argument of James. He's saying it's a faith that works. And so he's saying here, was not Abraham justified by faith? Excuse me, I see what, see what I'm saying. Justified by works. When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar, you see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. So he's not saying, hear me well, he's not saying that you're actually justified by works. He's saying you're justified by a faith that works. And if your faith doesn't have good works to go with it, then it's not real faith. And he uses Abraham as an example because Abraham was willing to demonstrate his faith by taking Isaac to the Mount Moriah to sacrifice him in Genesis 22. And because of that, he says that his faith was completed by works, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, before the law ever came to be, Abraham was already declared righteous, not because he was a law keeper, but because God saved him by faith, which worked. You following with me? And then it says this, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. In other words, righteousness comes through faith, not through the law. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Again, he's rounding out his argument. It better be faith accompanied by works or it's not real faith. You with me? So he's saying, look, Abraham's a great example of the gospel. He was not saved by keeping the law. He was saved by faith. His faith was diligent to the very end, even to sacrifice that which meant most to him, his son Isaac, on the altar. And then God showed up and provided a ram, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, which that whole story is to be a picture of the gospel. We like it. We love it. We know about Abraham. We could sing, Father Abraham has many sons, many sons. Has. I mean, we could sing about it. Abraham's on the map. We all know about him. And then in the middle of nowhere, in the New Testament, after talking about Abraham, he then in verse 25 says this, and in the same way was not also Rahab 
the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. How could this be? How could you mention Abraham the patriarch and Rahab the prostitute in the same sentence, even with the introduction of verse 25, and in the same way? One man was a holy man of God, greatly revered, and the patriarch and the beginner of the Jewish nation. One woman was a nobody who was a pagan, not even a Jew, in the midst of Jericho, and was a prostitute. God saves people the same way. It is not about your righteousness. It is about the grace of God. Rahab understood grace. In fact, if you'll look up at 2.13, James 2.13 reads like this, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Which one is stronger, mercy or, or uh, judgment? According to this verse, mercy triumphs over judgment. Rahab had shown mercy to these two spies, demonstrating she was indeed a woman of faith. Therefore, she experienced the mercy of God, escaped a pagan culture, came to live with the Israelites, married into the Israelite family, expressed a family apparently that became the royal line of Joseph, is mentioned in the New Testament and in the Hall of Faith, and now we see her here as a picture of the gospel. If God can save Rahab and use her in an abundant way, then God can save you. Maybe you're a mama this morning and you don't know Christ. Maybe you truly are outside of the covenants of promise. You're outside of the church community. You don't know what's going on. You just happen to show up this morning because it's Mother's Day and it's a nice thing to do on Sunday. Well, let me encourage you. God may be calling you out of Jericho and into Jerusalem. God may be calling you out of the darkness and into light. And this picture for you or for every mama who already knows Christ is a reminder that your goal is to be a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not by your works. Not by what you do. Ultimately, it's by faith that works. It's leading your kids to Christ and letting them know that why you do what you do has to do with the fact that you've been transformed by the glorious gospel, and now you work with joy and you work with satisfaction in God. You have an opportunity to be a picture that mercy triumphs over judgment. We don't have to work our fingers to the bone in order to be saved or be a godly mama. You rest in the gospel. At the same time, we strive to carry out the works the gospel produces in you as you're faithful to remember how he saved you and what it is that he's called you to do. Look with me, if you will, at the end here. These take-home points may help you frame up some ways you can apply this sermon. Number one, does your past keep you from serving God or cause you to serve the living God with more passion? Hopefully, as you're here this morning, you're not hearing, oh, you got to go do this, you got to go do that. No, I'm simply saying, you know what? No matter who you are, if you've been saved by grace, you have a great opportunity to serve our God. You don't have to go get a degree. You don't have to even be a biblical counselor. All you got to do is look to Christ 
and live for Christ so that no matter what your past is, that doesn't cause you to stumble or be down on yourself in any way, but it enables you to look to Christ who fuels you with passion and with energy to live out your God-given calling to raise, if God's given you, offspring to the glory of God, little boys and little girls who are image bearers of God. You have an opportunity to serve them with more passion by remembering what you came out of. Number two, is your faith filled with action and produce the works of one who has truly been justified? If you're here this morning and you're a mama and you say you believe in Jesus, do you have action to back it up? I'm not talking about do you just keep the house clean. I'm not just talking about do you cook good meals. I'm talking about are you dripping with mercy? Are you a gospel picture to your children? When they see you, do they see Jesus or the devil? Don't answer that question. All right, let's move on. Number three, are you a mama who has arrived or are you a mama humble enough to learn from a sinner saved by grace like Rahab? Every mama in this place has lessons you can learn from Rahab. You have lessons you can learn from younger women. Listen to me. You have lessons you can learn from other women who even though your mama didn't do it that way and you didn't do it that way, it might be time for you to change. Because the gospel is more powerful than tradition. So you have an opportunity to be humble this morning and to be humble throughout our life to learn from other godly mamas ways that you can consider how to honor the Lord by being a faithful, godly mom. Every godly mama can learn something from Rahab. Thank you for being faithful mamas. Happy Mother's Day. We love you with the love that God gives us for the one who birthed us and brought us up under the fear and admonition of the Lord. I pray that you'll think about this and apply these truths in your heart. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word, which is so filled with exhaustive wisdom and exhaustive uh, information that helps us connect sometimes things that are going on in the Old Testament to the New Testament, all to see a grander picture of grace and of the gospel. And we thank you that just as you saved Abraham the patriarch, that you saved Rahab the prostitute. And I pray for each mom here this day that if there would be a mom in this place that's in darkness, bring her into light. If there's a mom who's in the darkness of despair or depression, bring her into the light. Comfort her this day. Encourage her this day. Allow her to see that she might have a past, but she also has a future in Christ. Do a great redemptive work and a great work of restoration, allowing us to rejoice this day because of the gospel that we have seen so clearly and may it affect the way that we live as godly dads and godly moms. And as children come to faith in Christ, may they walk in accordance with the faith that has been displayed here this morning. God, give us grace upon grace to live and to serve and to worship with hearts that are filled with gratitude and with praise. Be exalted in this place. Thank you for giving us godly moms here at our church. May we be an encouragement and a blessing to them always. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.